Good morning. All right. Um, my name is Vicki. Thanks for being here this morning. Uh, my husband and I got married 17 years ago. And when we got married, we decided to have like an awesome honeymoon. Um, and so we decided to go for three weeks to Southeast Asia. And so we went to Vietnam, we went to Cambodia, we went to Thailand, and then we went to Hong Kong, which is where I'm from. Um, well, we, we went to Thailand, so that was our third stop, and we had 30 hours in Bangkok. And so I was like, you know, I'm the kind of person that likes to plan ahead. I do a ton of research, like what are the best places? What are the best restaurants? Where should we go? We only have 30 hours. So we just got to like maximize, right? Um, and so I had read about this restaurant um, that was in the Mandarin Oriental, which, you know, it's like, if you know, if you know travel, it's like super swanky, right? But then there's this restaurant that's like $20 a person, you know, and you go to the counter and they like put you in this little boat and they take you like down this waterway and they have this like island in the middle of Bangkok um, where you have this delicious meal, right? So I was like, that sounds amazing. $20 a person sounds excellent. Right. Um, so we go and we're sitting down and, um, you know, you're surrounded by all these skyscrapers in Bangkok. It's beautiful. It's busy. There's noise everywhere. And there's this skyscraper right by us. And on the top, there's this dome, like this glowing dome. And we're like, oh, that's interesting. You know, I wonder what it is. And Birch is not like me. He is the kind of person that likes to like not plan and show up and be like, let's see what happens, right? Like he's super flexible. He's very spontaneous. He's like great in a crisis, you know? Um, and so he's looking at that building. He's like, oh, I just wonder. And this 17 years ago, we did not have smartphones, right? Like where you could just Google that and see like, oh, let me just look up what it is. We didn't have our phones on us. We still had those like giant lonely planet travel books that we carried, you know? Um, and so you know, you could wonder, but that's, that's the end of that, right? Like that's the end of wondering. And I was like, oh, interesting, because it looks like um, a, a business building underneath, but like something going on up top, right? So Birch was intrigued. And so he was like, okay, we're done with dinner. Let's go explore. And he decides, let's just walk by the building and see what it's all about, right? And so he walks, he finds it, he walks over there and we're like, you know, oh yeah, it looks like a, it looks like a business building and it looks like it's closed, right? Like the lobby is pretty dark and there's nobody there. It's not like there's crowds of people in there. Um, it's just like a security guard. And so I was like, oh yeah, it probably just, is a business building, right? And I'm ready to turn around and Birch is like, let's see if it's open, you know? And I was like, why? Why would we go and see if it's open? And he's already walking towards the doors trying to open it, right? And I was like, oh, Birch, gosh. And he opens it and he's like, oh, it's unlocked, you know? And and I'm like, you know, I'm the person that does not like to get in trouble. Like I envision like, no, we're going to get in trouble. They're going to be like, what are you doing here? Like the businesses are closed, right? Like the security guard's going to come up and say, you're not allowed here. And this is like my worst nightmare. You know, like I hate being told like I'm doing something I'm not supposed to be doing. So that's why I'm like, no, don't go in there. Birch obviously has no concern about that, right? He's like, what's the worst that happens? He tells me I'm not supposed to be here, you know? And so he goes in and the security, he's like, 
look like we're supposed to be here. And so he starts heading towards the elevators and the security guard comes and follows us. Right. And I was like, oh, my gosh, we're going to be in so much trouble. Like he's going to tell us, like, you know, like we're not supposed to be here. And he follows us to the elevators and he's like, are you going to the 63rd floor? And we're like, mm hmm. <laughs> And so he goes into the elevator with us, pushes the button, and he's like, have a good time. And we're like, okay. Um, and we're like, I have no idea what's on the 63rd floor. All it says in the elevator, you know, sometimes it'll tell you like where you're going, but it's just like the very top floor. And we're in the elevator. We're like, I don't know what's happening. I don't know what's on the 63rd floor. And we get up to the 63rd floor and it's like this beautiful restaurant. And the maitre, uh, maitre d' says, inside or outside and we're like outside <laughs> so we walk out onto this patio to this right and it's this beautiful bar with this changing colors kind of sky bar at the very end that juts out like in the middle of the sky it's in fact it's called sky bar we didn't know that um and you see the rest of Bangkok lit up all over the place. There is a live jazz band that is playing. And the railing, honestly, this would never happen in the U.S. It's like right here, right? Like 63rd floor could plummet to my death if I had a few too many drinks, you know, like, and it's just glass. And it's beautiful. It's incredible. It is not what I expected to find up there, right? Um, and we got this incredible experience. We didn't have enough money to like pay for a whole lot, but we just got like a drink and we just got to enjoy this amazing, beautiful vista of all of Bangkok, all because Birch decided, let's try it out. He always is the person that believes I have access everywhere until they tell me no, right? Like I, I have an invitation to just go in until they say you're not invited here right? Versus me, I'm like, just assume you're not invited, <laughs> you know, assume you're not supposed to be in there, unless there's a giant sign that says, come on in. Um, and it is because of that, right, like that, we have experienced incredible things when we've gone traveling or in our lives, because Birch will just say, well, why don't we just check it out? Why don't we just go and see if it is available to us? Because he has the perspective and the mindset that he has access wherever he goes. Now, we have been in the series in Revelation, um, looking at the seven messages to the seven churches. And um, there has been this theme and this structure around every single message. And we've, you probably have seen this before, the structure that Jesus is speaking, right? And he says the words of, and when he says that, he says something, some characteristics about himself that is unique and significant to that church. And he talks to them about how they are known, that they are embattled, that there is something that is stopping them from the flourishing and thriving of their church, from fully understanding the mission and, and the kingdom of God, and the invitation for them to be overcomers, that they would overcome that and whatever is stopping them from experiencing the fullness of the kingdom and what the reward is, right? So with every single message that you see to the churches, it follows that structure. So this morning, we are looking at the Church of Philadelphia. And so just kind of keep this in mind as I'm reading it. All right. So this is in Revelation 3, verse 7. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, write the words of the Holy One, the true one who has the key of David, who opens 
and no one goes shut, who shuts and no one opens. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. Because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it, and I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, who comes down from my God out of heaven and my own new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The words of the Holy One, the true one who has the key of David. Probably one of the first thing you notice is that there's no word of correction for this church. There's no rebuke. There's no complaint against them. The church of Philadelphia has not lost its first love. It has remained loyal under pressure. It has not been swayed by the cultural values of its times contrary to the gospel. It boldly confessed Jesus in the marketplace. Jesus is clear in his language that he is pleased with the church in Philadelphia. They are loved, right? The main exhortation for this church is to behold or to look, right? Look, I have set an open door before you. That's what he says. Look right here. Now, what is this open door? We see a theme of the open door, right? Like he, he will open the door and no one else will be able to shut it. Or he will shut the door and no one will be able to open it. There are two options. First, it is a door of salvation. The phrase key of David is from Isaiah 22, right? It says this, in that day, I will call my servant Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, and I will clothe him with your robe and bind your sash on him and will commit your authority to his hand. And he shall be a father to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and the house of Judah. And I will place on his shoulder the key of the house of David. He shall open and none shall shut and he shall shut and none shall open. Eliakim was given authority to open and shut the door to the house of David which in the rest of Isaiah is referring to the kingdom of God, to the temple of God and all of the riches connected to God, the king. And so Jesus is the one here now with the key of David who unlocks the doors to all of the riches of the living God. And by his death and resurrection, he opens the door to the kingdom of God for all of us. We all have access to the kingdom of God where we did not have access before because he holds the key of David. Now, not only is that good news for all of us today, right now, but the Philadelphians hear that very specifically, right? It is good news for them because many of them uh, were Jews, right? And so they were part of these synagogues that were not just their place of worship, but it was their identity. It was their community. It was their families. It was their culture, right? And so Within the greater Roman Empire, their synagogue meant everything to them. It was who they were. And as a people, they got to watch each other's backs and they were connected to one another in that way, right? 
And when they decided that Jesus was holy and true and the true savior of the world, the Messiah that they were waiting for, their synagogues shut the door to them. And they said, you are no longer part of our community. You're excommunicated from this community. And families were broken because of that. They had no access anymore to the one place that they were able to call home, where they were fully known, where they were understood, where they spoke the same language and knew their place within that community. I can't imagine what it felt like to be disowned by their community and their families because of their faith. And Jesus is saying to them, even though your synagogue is closed to you, I have opened the door of the only synagogue that matters. And that door leads to the temple of God and it will never be shut. It will never be shut to you. Right? What good news for those who have faced loneliness and exile because of their faith. To know that Jesus sees them and sees their loneliness, sees the ways that they have been disowned and say, and there is a new family for you. There's a new place for you that you can call home and no one can shut that door, right? What good news for us who have tried to open doors and to walk through places where we think this is going to bring me salvation. This is going to bring me rescue and find that it's locked to us. And Jesus is saying, yeah, but I have the key of David and I will open this door and it will rescue you and it will save you if you walk through it and no one can say you're not welcome here you belong here and all that matters is that i say that you can walk through this door the second possibility of the open door is the door of opportunity right the door of opportunity now in scripture in the new testament we hear about open doors quite a bit And in fact, we pray about it, right? Like, God, would you open a door, right? And that is biblical because in in the epistles, Paul writes about open doors for a while. First Corinthians 16, nine, he is in Ephesus and it says, but I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost for a wide door for effective work has opened to me and there are many adversaries. He says it again in second Corinthians about Troas in Colossians, right? Pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mysteries of Christ on account of which I am in prison right? He talks about the open door. And in every scenario, the open door or the closed door refers to access to share the good news of Jesus, whether or not it is access into an actual city to go in and share the good news, or it is access to a community of people that at one point was closed to them. Now in our Christian vernacular, right? Like I said before, we pray for open doors, right? We pray that God would open a door to um, this school that we want our kids to get into or to a job that we are wanting this position in, right? But in the Bible, that is the open door is never in reference to something for us, something that benefits us, but is always in reference to sharing about Jesus. Now, I don't think that God doesn't want good things for us, right? But isn't it interesting that God opens and closes doors specifically so that people may know him? Now, I wonder if that might change the way that we pray about open doors, right? We are told that the Church of Philadelphia are people with little power, right? We know that they are without a synagogue in an empire where contextually, as we've been learning about the Roman Empire and about Domitian, that Christians are being persecuted and martyred every single day for their faith. 
They do not hold jobs of power or authority. They do not have wealth that demands respect, right? They are people of little power. They do not even have a community here to back them up. And I think if you were a group of people with little power, you would just decide, hey, listen, it's hard enough being a Christian already. Let's just keep our heads down and play it safe because out there, it's madness. We're going to get killed. We're going to be persecuted. It's not looking good out there for us, right? So let's just have the huddle mentality and just stay in here until it looks a little safer for us to like go outside of our houses, right? We're just trying to survive here. We don't risk it by sharing with other people and knocking on their doors, right? If they are people of little power, does it lead them to see themselves as insignificant and small? Or does it lead them to say, yeah, we are insignificant and small, but we can depend on a powerful God and focus less on themselves and what they can provide, right? We see that this church believes in their access to the kingdom of God, right? That they are loved, that they are known, that they are seen, and that they fully believe that he is the best news of their lives that he is worth it all, that they don't need to play it safe or preserve their little power. They can live fully and unabashedly for Jesus. And so when Jesus says, look, there is an open door that I want you to walk through, they're like, yes, let's do it. Because little power doesn't equate little influence. And we've seen that all throughout history, haven't we? That little power does not equate little influence. Now, the purpose of the city of Philadelphia was done, they were created in 140 BC. And the whole purpose of the city of Philadelphia was strategic. They were placed at the one of the greatest highways um, in the world to basically evangelize all things Greek. They were meant to Hellenize the world, right? And so they were supposed to uh, preach the good news of the ways of um, Grecian life, right? The language the lifestyle, the, the religion of all things Greek. And that was, their, that was their purpose. They were supposed to be a missionary city for all things Greek, right? And so this is here's a church in Philadelphia that's sitting in the midst of a city where the whole purpose is to glorify and honor all things Greek and say, isn't it great? Don't you want to win into it? Don't you want to learn the language and honor and worship all things Greek? Because that's what it's all about. And Jesus calls the church to hold fast. Hold fast, right? And for me, sometimes I'm like, holding fast feels very passive, right? Like, I'm just holding on to something. Don't let it go. Okay, you know, like, just hold on to it. And it just feels very, like, you know, lazy. Just standing in one place. But if you are in the middle of a strong current, holding fast, patiently enduring is really hard work, right? Because we just assume that like, oh, everything's neutral, but nothing's neutral, right? We know the law of entropy, right? Like the law of physics is if you stand still, you're actually moving backwards, right? Like, so actually holding fast is not stagnant. It is not hunkering down. It is pushing forward and moving or else you get taken into the flow of the current. So what about us? What does Jesus want us to see from the church of Philadelphia? I feel like 
I am a minority in my faith in Portland. How about you? Do you know that we live in one of the most unchurched cities in the country? I feel that when I moved, I feel that just in looking around and seeing less churches, I see that in my conversations with people, right? People can be antagonistic about God and religion. They have strong opinions about Christians and assumptions about who we are and what we do. And they're not always wrong, right? It is intimidating to say that you're a Christian in this city because it can come with so much baggage and judgment. I'm sure that you guys have felt that, right? And so it feels easier, honestly, to keep my head down and not say anything about my faith. Because I know that if I say something, I could totally be shut down. I could be, I, it could lead to very complicated and controversial conversations. Um, it, it, just, it just feels very intimidating, right? So why bring up something controversial and unprofessional? right? I don't want to put myself out there to be judged or rejected or misunderstood. And yet there is a Barna study that says that people are more open to spirituality and spiritual conversations than before the pandemic. In every age group, that number has risen since the pandemic. Something like 61% of people are interested in having a spiritual conversation with someone who is willing to listen. I think it's interesting that it says, who is willing to listen, right? It doesn't mean that they're just gonna do 95% of the talking and they just wanna talk to someone about it. It just means that the other person isn't just gonna come towards them and speak for 95% of the time either, right? That they are interested. I want to know about spirituality. I wanna learn, I wanna have a conversation about it. And I'm, they're more open to it than they've ever been before. And listen to this, 51% of people are interested and open to going to church. And maybe for some of you, you're like, wow, that's a really high number for people who are open to going to church. But I would also say that there is a difference in people who are open to having a spiritual conversation with someone that they know than going to church, right? And that makes sense to me because I feel like there's a shift in our culture where people want to learn more from someone that they know and trust than from an expert right? We know this, we've experienced this, and we know and see that companies are also seeing this because they're willing to put more of their advertising dollars into social media than in big billboard ads, right? There is still and always will be a bent towards relationship over religion. There is always going to be a bent towards relationship over religion. And I actually think that Jesus has always believed more in relationship than religion as well. If you see his interactions with people, he cares more about relationship than about religion. And I think that that is so true, right? Like I look at that, those percentages and I'm like, that makes sense to me because it is very intimidating to set foot in a church when you're like, I don't fully know what I believe yet. And yet there's this culture when I come in, people are singing songs that I don't know. People are standing up and sitting down when I don't know when that's supposed to be. Different churches dress differently, right? I don't know anybody usually. And then there's a talk referring, referring to a book that I don't know if I believe yet and to a God that I don't know very much about, right? 
it feels very intimidating if you haven't grown up in the church or if you don't know the Bible or you don't know the songs to come in and say, yeah, I want to learn more about who this Jesus is and, and, and sit in a pew, right? But it feels less intimidating to talk to a friend or a neighbor or a parent and say, hey, I know you go to church or you've mentioned something about that. Like, tell me more about that. What do you guys do? Like, what do you believe? Right. And I think sometimes we think, well, I've put out there that I'm a Christian and I go to church. If they have questions, they will ask me. (laughs) Right. Or I have asked them to go to church. So if they want anything to do with God, then they know who to ask. Right. I put it out there. I have just done my job. Right. You are their connection. And Jesus is saying to us, look, I have opened the door. Will you walk through? I have a friend, her name is Maylin, and um, she um, grew up in Fremont, right, California, and she came from a very um, achievement-based Chinese home, and she's incredibly smart. Her parents had very high goals for her, and she just was brilliant. She, she was brilliant right? And she knew that she wanted to be a doctor. She grew up in a very strong atheist home where um, good grades was their God, right? And, And doing their best and making lots of money was the prize. And so she knew, I'm gonna do everything in my power to get the life that I deserve and want. And when I get it, when I reach that goal of being the doctor, when I get the goal of making a ton of money and I get the house that I want and I get the family that I want, then my life is gonna be complete. And so she goes in as a Rhodes Scholar at at UCLA. And she is just, you know, she's used to being the A student. She's used to being the best. And she, I would love to say that when she went to UCLA, she wasn't the best, but she was the best there too. She was amazing in all her classes. She was acing everything. And it only proved to her that she had the goods to meet the goals that she had. But then if she was really honest, there was this sense of, and is this all there is? Because this is what I've worked my whole life for so far. And I can look down the road and I can't imagine doing this for another 45 years, right? When will I be able to say, ah, now I have reached it and this is satisfying, right? And this is saving me and this is everything I want. In the midst of that, her relationship with her boyfriend is falling apart and she's starting to ask some pretty big questions about life. And she starts meeting up with some people that um, are followers of Jesus and she is pursuing Jesus. She's chasing after Jesus, asking the, all the hard questions. And at the end of it all, she says, that's what I want. That's what I want. I want Jesus. If this is true, if this is true, what you're saying about who he is and what it looks like to follow him and what he offers, then I want that. And it was like the parable in the Bible where they talk about how there's a man that looks for the treasure. He has little treasures, right? But he's like, but there is one big treasure that I'm looking for. And he searches high and low. He goes all over the place. And it says that when he finds it, he sells everything else that he has to hold that one treasure. And that's what it was like for Maylin. She went searching for the treasure. And when she found it, she said, everything else pales in comparison. 
I will sell everything else in order to hold this one treasure. And with that treasure, she was like, and if this is true, that this is a treasure that is available for all of us, why would I not be sharing it with every single person I come upon? And so she starts telling everybody. And as you can imagine, she didn't know that much about the Bible. She wasn't a great communicator. And so, you know, there were numerous fails, right? Lots of rejection, but she just didn't care. She was like, so what? You know, like, I'm just going to keep sharing. And she just got better and better at sharing her faith. Because I think sometimes we think sharing our faith, either you got it or you, you don't, right? Like either you're gifted in sharing your faith. And some of us would call that an evangelist or not. And so, some of us are just meant to, you know, like vacuum the floor at church, you know, like we all have different gifts, right? Or, or if God is actually really calling me to share our faith, then the Holy Spirit would just come and magically eloquence will flow out of my mouth. And if it doesn't flow out of my mouth, then I wasn't really called to share my faith, right? But instead, I think it's a little bit more like practice, right? Like you don't get good at free throws by like being born out of the womb, just being able to like throw free throws, right? We don't get good at TikTok dances by like just watching it once and just doing it, right? We have to practice. We got to practice, right? And so with Maylin, she just practiced her faith. And, and every opportunity, she was like, I have access to this person, whether or not I have access to this person for this quarter because they're in my class and we're doing labs together, or I have access to this person because I am giving blood and we are in this captive moment for about 15 minutes. So she was giving blood. And this, this is the kind of thing that I'm like, I am not like Maylin, by the way. This is why I get to share about her. Maylin sitting there giving blood. And this woman says, so what do you do for work? right? She was doing college ministry with me. Um, and, you know, she said, oh, my job is to help people avoid midlife crisis. And so she, there, she's like, oh, well, tell me more. What do you mean? Right? So Maylin says, you know, I think that a lot of people, they have this plan for their lives and they think that, you know, it's going to fulfill them. It's going to be everything that they want their lives to be. It is going to be the purpose of and meaning for them. And then they pursue it. And then when they get to midlife, they realize that it wasn't as purposeful as they thought that that they get they become disillusioned whether or not they need it or not they become disillusioned in midlife and what i want is to help people avoid that and then she's she's like okay so how how do you avoid that right and she's like well i think that we are created for way more than just what we accomplish and what we achieve and what we own and what we have, right? We are created to be part of this huge kingdom. And Jesus is the king of that kingdom. And he gives us our identity and our value and our purpose. And if we are able to connect to him and, and follow him, we will always be satisfied and we will not hit midlife crisis. 15 minutes, right? What do we do with 15 minutes? I don't do that. I sit there and I'll be like, oh, what a drag. I have to give blood. Let me scroll on my phone. Let me, you know, like do something else to fill up that time. She believed that she had access into people's lives. And she was so invested in the treasure that she had that she was willing to do whatever to be able to share that. And she practiced it so that she could get better and better at sharing her faith. 
I think for us, this hits a major question of our faith. Do we really believe that Jesus is good? Do we believe that he is the solution for every broken heart, every hurting situation, every lost city? Do we believe that Jesus really is the solution to the brokenness of our world? When someone shares something going on in their lives, what do we offer? What do we say? Practical solutions to help them? Have you tried counseling? Talking to the teacher? Can I bring you food or help with childcare? Right? Listen, all those things are good, right? We want to offer those things because you know what? Like we don't want to just listen blankly and say, oh, Jesus is the answer. God loves you and walk away right? Because Jesus actually cared very much about the practical needs of people, right? He would go and he would heal them. He would go and he would feed them, right? Like he would go and meet the practical needs. I'm not saying don't do that, but at what point and do we ever offer Jesus as well? What goes on for us when we have the door of opportunity open to us? What is the message going on in our heads? Can I be honest with you about what goes on in my head? I think people aren't all that interested in talking about God. I don't want to make this awkward. I don't want to be that Christian. I don't want to mess up this friendship. I don't want to offend her. I don't know what to say. I'm going to fumble it up and I'm going to mess it up. Better for somebody else who's gifted in this to do this. What if she asks questions that I can't answer? I'll just invite them to church. And then if they say no, then at least I did my job, right? I have thought every single one of these statements. My sense of self is either too much or too little. I either think that I will mess this person up towards God and then they will never say yes to Jesus again or have no qualifications to speak into this person's life, right? Either view is more focused on myself than on how I see God. What Jesus is saying is, I'm the one that opens and closes the door, not you. All I'm inviting you to do is walk through that door and believe that you have access there. What if I just saw that God gave me access to this person's life, whether or not it is a season of my life or it is we overlap for 20 minutes at the DMV, right? And I can choose to bring life and joy and love into that person's life or not. If I get rejected or where I'm told that they aren't interested or my intentions are misunderstood, then okay. But the other option is that we make it to the 63rd floor and we experience something so beautiful and unexpected because we took a chance and we believe that Jesus opened the door and he said, why didn't you just walk through the door and see what I have in store for you? I think sometimes we spend so much time praying for the people in our lives And we don't pray that actually the thing that's stopping us is us, right? That we don't have the right perspective of ourselves and we don't have the right posture to say, it was never about me, right? God is just inviting me to walk through the door, maybe share a little bit of our faith, of our experience in God, right? To ask maybe a question or two, right? And by the way, Paul never assumes that open doors means that it's going to be easy, right? We know that in his missionary journeys, he goes to cities and there's people who follow Jesus and say yes to Jesus. And then there's also stonings and imprisonments 
and lots of angry mobs, right? So open doors don't necessarily mean that like everyone's gonna love it, you know, like that's not what it means. So I hope we don't assume that Jesus opening doors means that it's always smooth sailing and that we might not get rejected or maybe our feelings hurt a little bit. So I wanna give us two helpful things two practical things as we are thinking about this. One, I want us to pray. I want us to think of one person that God has put into our lives that um, we are wanting to have some wisdom and clarity about how to bring up Jesus with them, right? Pray for that person, but even more importantly, pray for yourself, (laughs) Pray for your posture and your perspective that you would be able to have eyes to see the open door and have the courage to step through the door when you see that opportunity. The second thing is I invite you to think about a question of curiosity and wonder, right? Or a statement, right? Like what, instead of just saying, I'm a Christian and I go to this church, What's a different way that you could ask a question to engage someone into a deeper conversation, right? And maybe it's not, what is your spiritual background? Although that's perfectly fine too, right? But where do you, where do you go to find life? Or what is something that has been giving you joy lately, right? It doesn't, so a question of curiosity and wonder is honestly, what it means to be a good friend, right? Like if you are not curious or wondering about this other person's life, then we could do better in being a good friend by asking good questions of our friends, right? But in addition, it communicates to the other person that you care about them and you care about the perspective. You care about what, where, where they're experiencing life, right? And I, I, my challenge for us is to be able to bring some of these conversations into a deeper place of depth and, and a vulnerability. And, you know, and I think that what you see about my examples with Mei Lin was that she wasn't, here's my 30 minute pitch for Jesus, right? It was a conversation where there were like one or two sentences being said back and forth, right? Because what we want are spiritual conversations, not sermons, right? And I believe that that's what people long for. That's what people are hungry for. And the promise that is offered to the Church of Philadelphia is this, that a name is going to be written of them on the pillar of the temple of God that will last forever. You know, in their day, if you did something great for the city, something honorable, then they would etch their name on the pillar of the temple, right? So that it is an honor and it is a memorial for that person. And what Jesus is saying is, As you hold fast to the kingdom and choose not to play it safe, but share it all, I will put your name on the pillar of the temple of God in a city that will never fade or crumble. Your names of honor will be there forever, not forgotten. And their legacy of faithfulness will be part of the buildings of worship. That they would look at that and say, isn't God good? Isn't he worth it? Wasn't this beautiful? This morning, we have an opportunity to come to the table and celebrate God's goodness and faithfulness, his victory over darkness. Jesus came to rescue us, to sit with us, and to commune with us and identify with us as friends. 
He died on the cross to give us access into a kingdom of God that we could never earn our way to. We can come freely to the table this morning and know that we are not alone. Know that we can find our identity with him, that we belong here with him. And he sees us and knows us even in the midst of our grief and our suffering and the darkness. And after you receive communion, whether or not you like to do that here or bring it back to your seats, there is a tray here of keys. And I invite you each to take one. And it is just a reminder that Jesus is the one that gives us access to the kingdom. He is the one that opens the door. He is the one that opens the door of our friends and neighbors and families' hearts and minds and souls, right? That we get to put this in our pocket this week as we're praying for our friends and say, Jesus, you are the one that opens the door, not me, not my clever words, not my amazing answers to apologetics, that you are the one that opens the door for me and for my friend, right? It is not about you. It is not about your qualifications. It is not about what you choose to say. It is him. And that he is saying, look, I have opened the door. Walk through it as intimidating, scary, and risky as it may be. I am worth it, and I will go with you. Let me pray for us. Jesus, thank you that you have the key of David, that you bring rescue when we cannot rescue ourselves, that you are the thing that fills us with hope when you, we look around and we don't know where else to turn our eyes, where else we can possibly find our hope. We know that we can look to you and know that you have the key to eternal life and to hope everlasting that will not crumble. And God, now we, we pray that you would give us courage to step into the places that you have already given us access, that you have already opened the door to, that we might have just been playing it safe and made uh, given reasons of why we are not equipped or qualified to step through those doors. And yet, God, you say, I have given you access into that person's life, you relationship, you overlap, and they need to hear about me. They long for me. They thirst for me. And would you walk through that door? Jesus, would you help us as we come and receive your um, body and your blood that we would know that we are rescued by you? And that it was not about us, but it is about your power and your goodness. Thank you, Jesus, that you are the answer. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen.